Welcome to the Abundant Yoga Teacher Podcast. My name's Amy McDonald. I'm a yoga teacher, yoga student, and a yoga business coach. And I'm here to support you to share your yoga with the people in your community who really need it. So if you're an amazing yoga teacher, but you sometimes struggle with the business part of what it is that you do, you're in the right place. I hope you thoroughly enjoy everything I've got in store for you. And if you have any suggestions, questions, or ideas for future podcasts, reach out to me on Instagram at Amy Yoga Biz Coach. Hey, and welcome to episode two, season eight of the Abundant Yoga Teacher podcast. I want to start this episode with a correction. <laughs> uh, last week, I posted something about uh, how it's my birthday tomorrow and I am turning 43 years old, to which my best friend, Dr. Mia Cobb, follow her on the socials, sent me a screenshot, <laughs> sent me a screenshot of my Instagram account with a giant number 44 written on it. Apparently I'm having fuck you COVID-19 groundhog day. And uh, I already did the 43 thing. That was last, last July. August when I was walking around in the winter with a goddamn mask on. <laughs> so correction, turning 44 tomorrow, which means I'm throwing my birthday sale. Uh, so if you haven't yet and you would like to, my birthday sale for, tw- <laughs> for 2021, because Amy, that's the year that it is, is $150 off my 90 minute intensives. There's some of those still available if you would like one. Uh, the uh, link is in the episode notes or it's amymcdonald.com.au forward slash intensives and use the coupon code birthday150off, and that's birthday with a capital B, uh, to, get the, to get the savings. Um, also, this week, registrations are closing for yoga and story. So if you would like to join me starting next week for my applied mythology course, it's all new content. So if you've already done the first one, um, this will be new stories, new discussions. And if you haven't done the first one, there will still be enough um you know, explanation. So you know where you are in terms of what is the Ramayana? What is the Mahabharata? Why do we need to know? How is it relevant to yoga, etc.? Who wrote it? When? In what context, etc.? So we're going to be doing all of that good stuff. Uh, again, episode, uh, sorry, the, uh, the link is in the episode notes or amymcdonald.com.au forward slash story. Um, also this week, gee, busy week, as well as it being my 44th, thank you, Dr. Mia Cobb, birthday tomorrow. Uh, today is also Amy's first day back at yoga teaching weekly classes in like three years. So that's going to be interesting. Watch this space. I'll share some stuff on uh, on Instagram as we go along with, with how all of that turns out. I'm subbing for a friend uh, five classes a week for the next three weeks, uh, and there's three classes today. So I've got a restorative this afternoon and then two Hatha yoga classes back-to-back in the evening. And um, it's going to be interesting because the uh, – it's going to be interesting. I'm just going to leave it like that. If you want to stay tuned to how all of that goes, <laughs> be following me over on Instagram at Amy Yoga Biz Coach and um, I'll keep you posted. It's really, I think the thing that's, uh, and for all of you GYYB as graduates of, of, or people who have been on my retreat, you know, we talk about basic human needs, which is something that you know, it's, it's actually, I think it comes from Tony Robbins, but 
I identify as someone who needs a certain level of certainty to feel safe. And let's just say that the student enrollment procedure that my friend has for her classes is not well suited to someone who needs certainty to feel safe. So I could end up with one person or I could be in trouble with the with the government because I have maxed out the COVID room requirements and I don't know until it happens. <laughs> Anyway, uh, today's episode is the Q&A episode from my Patreon supporters. So uh, the topic will be the topic as chosen by them, a conversation with the people who uh, follow and support me on Patreon. So I hope you enjoy it. Here it goes. Okay, so today we have... Three topics. Yes. Uh, and I am joined by some of my fabulous Patreon supporters. Thanks, ladies, for being here. And I've asked them <laughs> to do my homework for me and come up with what it is that we're going to be talking about today on the podcast, which they have done in part. And I also uh, have a suggestion from um, Instagram as well, which I'm going to uh, kick us off with. So three ideas. It's a little bit of a uh, Abundant Yoga Teacher podcast potluck. So first, uh, I got this great message from Kat. Actually, um, I, I love, I just love it when you all send me messages. I know I say that all the time, but I really mean it. Um, and she said um, that I asked her what, you know, she's found my podcast. She heard about me from someone else. And so she just reached out to say hello, which was very, very nice, especially because it had a, a high five emoji, which I am in full favor of. And so I asked her, well, you know, what, what is it, Kat, that I could help you with? And she said, um, well, what she needs is a firecracker up the ass to get things going, but she said, but you know that's not a real yogic state of mind. And so I thought, well, this is a great one to kick us off with in terms of what is a yogic state of mind. One of my colleagues and I have been messaging over the past couple of days about um, kind of this, um, I guess you'd call it a dichotomy between um you know, what, what is yoga and what are we conflating when we talk about yoga? Because inevitably we are mashing things together. And for a lot of people, when they think about yoga, they think about what I would call essentially modern postural yoga, which is the stuff you do when you go to a yoga class. It might be at a yoga studio. It might be at a gym, depending on where you go. It may span the spectrum of sort of more secular through to more spiritual for want of a better word. And, and, and what we do uh, is often some studios, me for sure, is also weave in um, philosophical yoga or even sort of um, trappings, if you like, of what could be from a broader audience perspective identified as Hinduism. We b- bring all of this stuff together and we call it yoga. And, and, um, which is a great place to be, right? I love it. I love chanting my kirtan. I have, like, I can see various uh, deities just looking around the room here where I am. Um, and uh, I like reading the the old books. And I also get a kick out of modern postural yoga and being a bit of an anatomy geek and all of that sort of stuff. And so in this, I think what we've done is we've mashed a whole bunch of stuff together. And I think that makes for Um, a juicy and great experience but it also can be confusing when it comes to questions of well how do I conduct myself as a yoga practitioner or a yogini or a yogin because um, which 
parts of all of this potpourri of goodness am I drawing from in a way that um, not only makes sense to me but feels authentic to how to my own definition of yoga and I know I've told this story before but I've got to tell it tell it again because it I think it illustrates the point so so when I was um still trapped in my corporate job and uh because while I longed to be free and just teach yoga and do yoga nerdy things and hang out with uh, people like these two awesome women who are joining me right now um everybody knew at work that I was the yoga geek. I would go to work 90 minutes early. I would go into the big town hall that we had access to and roll my yoga mat out in the strip of sunshine that came in through the skylight and practice yoga for 90 minutes, then go to the shower and then go to my office. And everybody knew that the yoga mat next to the lockers in the change room was mine. And they all knew that, you know, I'd rock up to work with uh, not only yoga leggings, but yoga leg warmers. I was uh, readily identifiable as a yoga geek and I remember one time I had this meeting scheduled which because while I was also a yoga geek I would also manage the waste management profile of our local government area yes that's an exciting multi-million dollar contract to manage and I had all of these dudes coming in to talk about bins and it was going to be quite a fraught meeting and I was a little bit tense about it because we were renegotiating contract terms and I'd booked this meeting room and the meeting that was immediately before me was running overtime. And so um, I, I got to about five minutes past the hour and I had my contractors waiting awkwardly in the in the hallway along with my colleagues and so I knocked on the door and I stuck my head in and it was uh, someone from a different part of the organisation um, and I said, oh, we've got the room booked now. Um, when are you finishing? And she said, oh, in a couple of minutes. And so I, I closed the door and I waited another couple of minutes. And then I knocked again and said, we need you to leave because we have the meeting booked and, and I have these people waiting. And, and, and so she collected up her, her meeting and, and ushered them all out. And as she was passing me, she said to me, oh, Amy, I thought, I thought you were a yogi. I thought you would have been more zen. And what she meant was I should have just chilled out and let her meeting run its course, even though it had eaten into my meeting time and I should have just been okay with it because hashtag om shanti 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 and this happened actually Jody when this happened also at the Bass Coast Yoga Festival where um so Jody and I who Jody's here with me uh, at the moment Jody and I taught in Inverloch a couple of months ago at a festival and um, but I think they had like a 15 minute turnaround between teachers and actually Jody was top of the first cab off the rank I think in your meeting room so in your studio gymnasium whatever but for me I was in the middle of the day and there was a teacher teaching before me and same deal she was very special and so her class went over time and it started eating into my prep time and when you're teaching at a festival you need a bit of time to cue up the AV get your microphone on test it get yourself settled review your class plan etc and of the 15 minute bump in, bump out, she she was still teaching 10 minutes into that 15 minutes. And so I got quite firm with my boundaries and um, got her class wrapped up and got my class started on time. But, you know, the same kind of attitude about, well, if you're, if you're truly spiritual, then you should be more accommodating of me and my needs, right? And, and this is the curious thing about what does it mean to be a yogi and how should we conduct ourselves in a way that aligns with how, again, how we define what it, what it is to be a yoga practitioner. And so back to Kat's message on Instagram, um, needing a firecracker up the ass and not feeling that that's particularly 
a yogic way of going about things. Well, I think we get to look to some of the mythology of yoga to just understand that being um, soft and being gentle is not always the way to go. So I want to reflect on a couple of um, sort of mythological anecdotes and then also talk about some anatomical um, implications of this too. So let's start with the anatomy stuff. Um, I remember I had a student once who generally my studentship in my yoga classes, they're a bit like me, a bit stiff, a bit country, a bit kind of midlife, a bit sitting at a desk most of the time. But I had one student who was young uh, in her early 20s and I had known, and um, I think this is okay to disclose, I had known because of a small town and people looking out for each other that she had been through some adversity and part of that had involved some disordered eating stuff and coming back to yoga was a way of her re-embarking on exercise, if you like, in a way that was actually manageable and safe and not going to trigger stuff that she had you know, behaviors in the past that really hadn't served her well. And she was, um, she had a dance background and you could tell, you know, she was really um, light on her feet and nimble and just graceful in her movements, unlike myself, me and uh, Brandon Walsh, we don't dance. Um, and she was also extremely hypermobile. Like I would say, okay, Urvadhanarasana, and she would essentially be in like, like if you just Turned, if you were doing downward dog, but you just turned your body up the other way and were still in that same sort of, sh- like, incre- I've never seen anybody like it. Uh, maybe, you know, on the internet with those sort of um, contortionist stuff. If she wanted to be a contortionist, she could have. You could put her in a box. You could, you know, do all of that weird kind of stuff. She was incredibly hypermobile. And, and, and she also... Um, wanted to please me, right? I could get that energy from her, that part of what she was looking for was to know that she was getting it right. And this is an interesting space for us as yoga teachers to understand that all of our students come to class with stuff, right? And some people are looking for validation from us and that, and that that's not all, and, and we need to just, obviously we're, we don't want to step outside the scope of what it is we're trained to do. We're not counsellors, we're not therapists, we're not psychotherapists. But you can pick up on it, right? When you know that a, a student is particularly hungry to get the to get validation from you in that way, and so these two things combined meant she went into everything incredibly deeply, and in a way that actually, as her teacher, made me nervous because that kind of sustained um, hypermobility. I don't know enough to be sure that it's not going to cause her injury over time, and so if to come back to this idea of what's yogic behavior, if I had continued to be very accommodating and open and accepting and um, soft with her, that would have looked like continuing to uh, endorse the way that she was going into these yoga poses, i.e. maxing her body out to the beyond the limit. And, and also I got the sense that uh, it, because in part, um, she wanted to make sure that she was doing it right and she didn't want to get it wrong. And this is where I think we can say, well, hang on a second, it would be more, in, to my way of thinking, more ethical for me to let her know to come back, to come out of something, to go in only halfway, to experience what it looks like to actually not only not hyperextend her joints but actually keep them a little bit bent. Like what does it feel like for you, Urvadhanarasana, or even like not even pushing all the way up, just just staying with the top of your head on the mat 
and working to retract and depress your scapula so you can actually start to feel the muscles in your arms and your back. So for to, to again to come back to Kat's uh, DM on Insta, this is a great example, I feel, of where it's appropriate to not go into the soft, gentle, loving, like what could be um, always positive kind of space of the enabling yoga teacher, but in fact to have some firmer boundaries and let somebody know, no, no, that's too much, come back. Um, similarly, as I was saying with the meeting room situation or the yoga festival situation, no, you've overstepped your time, now here is the boundary. Um, and so let's look for some examples in the, in, in, we don't have to look very far into um, yoga mythology where not only do we see characters that we are to look up to and, in fact, for some people, revere as God or goddess, um, but, in fact, they're not, just, they're not just being firm in their boundaries. They're doing stuff that we feel is controversial or transgressive or the wrong thing to do and, uh, and yet uh, choosing to do it because it is um, their, their um, you know, it is their dharma, it is what they're meant for. So the, the couple that come to mind, the first one, of course, is uh, in, in part because I'm just rereading, <laughs> as we do, I'm just rereading the Ramayana. Oh, oh, oh. Um, you know, the part in the Ramayana where um, so Sita has been stolen by Ravana, Hanuman's gone and found her on Lanka, the monkeys and the humans have built the bridge, they've gone and fought the war, they've defeated, they've killed Ravana's son and pretty much everybody else, uh, Ravana's dying, whatever, um, they rescue Sita, they take her back to, to the kingdom and, 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 and Ram um, presumes in part influenced by the feedback he's getting from his, his community that Sita has in fact been defiled by Ravana, that you can't spend a year on an island with an Asura who's um, known for debauchery and having an extensive harem. Um, you can't spend a year there without ha having been defiled and that, you know, she's no longer pure, she's no longer the perfect embodiment of wife, which is one of the um, archetypes that Sita um, that Sita represents to, to many people and that he must cast her out. And as the story progresses, you know, uh, ultimately he makes her or she chooses to, depending on who you ask, walk through a fire to prove her purity, um, to, to essentially like if you're as pure as you say you are, self-immolate. Like let's do sati and let's find out, you know, throw yourself on the fire and let's see if you're as pure as you say you are. So here's an example where the guy, Ram, who is, you know, Vishnu in drag, um, makes his wife jump onto a fire because he's worried that she's slept with someone else. And that's all very yogic. So this is curious. Like if he was acting in a yogic way, wouldn't he just say to, to, play that tape through wouldn't he just say oh you know what honey I love you don't worry about it come on home let's just move on from here let's go to couples therapy I love you all one om shanti shantihi no he says I don't know but people are talking about you and I'm nervous about it and I can't let you back in uh, until you prove to me that you're pure now obviously this is a shitbag thing to do but for this example He's acting in a yogic way. He can't not, remember, he's Vishnu. So it's not like, you know, what he does is he, he can't not 
pursue his dharma. That's what if Ram has an archetype, it's that he's the you know the the pursuer of dharma, the, of, of right livelihood, of doing things in the yogic way. And for him, that looks like compelling his woman to potentially suicide by self-immolation. So that's an interesting thing. That's in our tradition. That's being yogic. The other one, of course, that comes to mind is you know when when um, when when Kali gets out of control and nearly tears the world asunder. The the the, the, the there's the evil demon, the Raktabija, the bloodseed demon. He's going to kill everything. Durga's trying her best with all of her weapons to sort things out, but it's still too much for her. So she kind of focuses all of her energy and springs forth. Kali, who's got the lolling tongue and doesn't mind getting her hands dirty and starts licking up all of the blood seeds. So every time Raktabija, the demon, uh, was injured and, and shed blood, from the shedding of the blood would spring up another demon and they were starting to take things over. So Kali gets out her tongue and starts licking up all the blood and starts solving the problem, except she gets, um, again, she's pursuing her, this is what she's meant for. She's been created for this moment and in her, um, in her, in her, you know, you know that sort of enhanced state when she's she's so in the zone of killing this demon that she just it, she just gets carried away and it starts spiraling out of control and to the point where she's sort of weaponized and now the gods are thinking oh shit the thing we thought was going to be the solution could actually be the next problem um, because she's so in a state of um, oh I, the word is totally just blanking on the word but she's she's so captivated in pursuing this task that she's in fact swung, the, the pendulum has swung into what's no longer in service and she's now a threat to, to the universe as we know it. So again, here is a story from yoga that shows us what it looks like when you do what you're meant for um, that doesn't look like being really passive and just hoping that things happen in a way that they're meant to. Uh, all of this to say that to come back again to Kat's uh, Insta message, this idea that approaching our business in a yogic way means we always need to be patient, we need to be passive, we need to hope that things happen, we need to manifest our reality, we need to trust that the universe is going to provide. Perhaps there is a space for that. Perhaps some of that is magical thinking, which probably will inform a future edition of the Patreon-only uh versions of the Abundant Yoga Teacher podcast. Man, can we talk about magical thinking in yoga? And perhaps there is a time where you are supposed to do, where you are supposed to fight, where you are supposed to force things, where you are supposed to get the hell out of your comfort zone, where you are supposed to make uh, unlikely and perhaps unpalatable demands of other people, where you are supposed to say, I'm not okay with that. It has to be like this, where you are supposed to with all of your fury and everything you've got, go for the result that you're looking for. So I'm going to read it again and then I'm going to summarize this point before we move on to teaching point number two for today. Kat said, I need a firecracker up the ass probably to get things going. But, you know, that's not real yogic state of mind. This stuff is happening slowly. So if it's happening slowly because that's how you want it to happen, great own it, love it, go slow. But if things, and this is for everybody, are happening slowly because you think that that's just how it should be as a yogini or a yogin or a yoga practitioner or however you define yourself, I call bullshit on that. 
if you need a firecracker cracker up the ass, go find one and light it. Like there is nothing in the tradition that says that we should always be passive and that we should always just, you know, trust that all is coming. Who said other than, you know, Patabi Joyce and we don't look to him anymore, thankfully, shouldn't for some time. But anyway, that's another story. So I say there is a time to push. There is a time to force things. There is a time to declare what you want and go after it like your hair is on fire. There is a time to make unruly and unpalatable demands. There is a time to ask outrageous things from other people and all of it, all of it, all of it, I would argue, is in alignment with what it means to be a yogi, particularly because, as I talked about at the top of this conversation, we've conflated a whole lot of stuff. We've mushed a whole lot of stuff in together. But what we know for sure is for us, being a yogi is a householder path for us. We're not, we're not monastic. We haven't renounced the world. We're not living on the, um, you know, the, 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 uh, open-heartedness of others. We're not begging for food. We're not living in caves. We're choosing to be householders and to experience, um, you know, hopefully uh, increasing levels of kind of liberation and insight because we're living in the world. And so all of the murkiness and all of the complexity and all of the full range of emotions and behaviors are available to us, um, particularly if you follow any type of tantric text or teachings in your, in your infusion of yoga, all of it's on the table. All of, you can use all of it, all of it. And the, and the opportunity for growth and insight comes from the discernment in knowing which tool to draw on at which time, where to push and when, where to receive and when, when to be more shivering coded, when to be more shakti encoded, when to step over your comfort zone, when to settle back into it. It's not how should I do it? It's just feeling that no, now is the right time to do it. There isn't a way of being that's right or wrong other than when it isn't the right way of being for you at that time. So thanks, Kat, for that suggestion and uh, an opportunity for me to riff on some of my favourite stories. Okay, moving right along. Point number two. Uh, Right, let's talk about um, how to build an audience. Love it. So tell me what what's are we talking like audience in terms of mailing list like what are we to, or just people knowing what you're about what are we talking about? Um, for me, yeah, I'm, I'm so I I have a an online yoga business. I do Zoom a Zoom class once a week, and I've got two subscribers to my regular class which are actually old school friends of mine and and I have kind of like 20 people on my list great and and which is which is good and I email once a week and I do a a blog post but I just don't seem to be getting any increase in that you know so I'm I'm fine teaching my two friends that's great I enjoy that and it keeps it all up for me but but my difficulty is that that's not going to make an economic path out of my corporate job. So how do I get more people okay. engaged and interested? And Got it. Love it. I, I, okay. So sorry. the first the first step is to not be fine with only having two people coming to class and only having 20 people on your mailing list. 
And everybody who's listening is no longer fine with it for you either. And everybody here live with me now is no longer fine with it either. So excellent. You just got yourself like all of the accountability you could possibly desire. Um, and this is what's curious. You know, this, this really uh, ties back, it weaves back into what I was saying before. I think sometimes we get confused with um, gratitude and being okay with something right? Like we can be very, very grateful for what we have and desirous of more. Being desirous of more does not mean you're ungrateful for what you already have. So we, it's, is it cool that you've got 20 people on your mailing list and two people in your class? You better believe it. It's cool. It's freaking awesome. Amazing. And you get to not be okay with it anymore. Absolutely grateful and desirous of more. So, um, so, 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 all right. So you said, let's start with what you're already doing. So the blog post that you're putting out, um, I, Jody knows, <laughs> what's Amy going to say about blogs? Um, the blog, this is for everybody, blogs only if, like a blog on your website, if you've got 20 people who know about you, is a waste of your time. Full up. If that's all that it's doing, lucky people who read it, but it is a waste of your time in terms of how precious time is and how you know, we're so freaking uptight about how we invest money, but we're so flippy flaffy about how we invest time, right? Like, oh, should I buy a $50 course? Oh, I don't know. But will I spend three hours doom scrolling? Sure. It's ridiculous. So, so your time is so precious. Blog writing is only a great return on your time investment if it is being actively, widely circulated to get in front of new people. So how else can you distribute those blogs? If they're decent, and let's presume they are, right, then where else can they be getting shared? Certainly they need to be on your LinkedIn as an article. Certainly they need to be broken down into chunks as five installments over a week on your Instagram. Certainly they can be posted in full, depending on their length, on your Facebook. Maybe you open yourself a Medium account and every time you write a blog, you throw it up there because who knows? Maybe someone finds you. And if you're going to LinkedIn or Instagram or Medium or wherever else, guest blogging, getting it published in someone's, you know, magazine or on someone else's website, make sure that the final little paragraph, either in your byline little bit that they let you have or your final paragraph says, if you want more stuff like this, get my freebie, whatever your freebie is, and get people to opt into your mailing list. So make sure you have a great freebie. And be telling people about it all the time. So just on the blog, keep up with the blog if uh, you can get it more broadly distributed. So you're using it to reach out to more people. You know, I think it's a great, maybe this might be an aspirational goal for some of you. Maybe it might be just how you um, going forward choose to to sort of set set as your um, baseline but if you can have the mindset of I'm going to make one thing and use it five times, things your, your business will grow way faster, you'll work less, and you'll start seeing those results that you want sooner. So if you're going to write a blog, try and use it five times. So post it on Facebook, post it on LinkedIn, chunk, chunk it down and post it on Instagram, read it and make it a podcast, podcast post it on medium, get someone to share it in their newsletter, get it on a bulletin or, a you know, um, someone else's blog, some online magazine, etc. So that would be the, if you're already doing something, 
seek to distribute it more broadly. Um, And then the other thing is, I mean, this is a really, this is, I know everybody's like, oh, shit, Amy, could you come up with some new material? But what I'm seeing again and again and again and again is um, you've got to have a freaking strong Instagram following. And so an Instagram follower strategy is key. People are doing business all the time on Instagram. Um, and, and so focusing on growing your Instagram followers by making great content, being engaging, hint, do more video all the time, um, and, and having actual real conversations with people is fundamental <laughs> so is reading that's that's for anybody else who's a drag race uh geek like me um having an instagram following strategy and being consistent with it is fundamental to getting more people to hang out with you as i say if you do the amy recipe for following and unfollowing you can you should be looking at 100 new followers a week and 20 new email subscribers a week without paying any money and having Great conversations along the way because, as I was saying in, uh, I think it was last week, we finished up the last most recent round of social media confidence and um, one of the women in the course, she knows who she is, she's fabulous, has lots of pictures of her dog, about mm, I think it was like seventy to th- seven to three dog to her on the Instagram. And she said to me, yeah, but that's because I get so many more likes on the dog posts. And I said to her, who gives a shit about how many likes you have? I like all the bloody can terrier posts I can get my thumbs on, um, but but that doesn't help my business grow. It doesn't matter how many people like your posts. What counts is how many meaningful conversations you're having with people. So post great content, follow and unfollow, invite people to sign up to your freebie when they follow you, start conversations, and that will get your mailing list growing. But for where you're at, and this is, uh, again, <clears throat> something that definitely worked for me building. My, like I say all the time, I think at this stage my yoga student mailing list has got, I think as of today, it's got like 98 people on it. Um, and maybe five of them came because they found my website and opted in for my freebie. But the other 93 they're on my mailing list because they're my students. So you want to get students first who then – who then you move over to your mailing list because they like your class. So it's a, it's, it's a sort of a different, sometimes people can think, oh, I've only got a tiny mailing list. My business is never going to grow. When you're starting out, it's much more important to get people in your classes. That's the emphasis. And, as a, and once they've bought a class, then they go onto the mailing list. So it just ha- you could have 10,000 people on your mailing list, but if no one freaking buys anything from you, who cares? It's like if 200 people like your dog photo, but they don't actually know that you teach yoga, who cares? The numbers don't matter so much as the interaction and the rapport and the relationship that you have with those people. So if you're already doing a blog, get it out in front of more people, try for five platforms and um, and with your mailing list, uh, work, your, work your Instagram, Instagram growth strategy, have a great freebie that's compelling. Um, you don't need to guess what it is. You can test a few different ideas over time. Like don't go build five things and run them all at once. Uh, give yourself five months and try five things. And um, and have the focus on getting more people to class more than getting more people to get onto your mailing list. Have the mailing list as the point two, point one, 
come to class. Um, does that help? Yes, that's perfect. Thank you so much. And Please. so you're very welcome. And just to reiterate, we see you, we see you, we see you two and 20. <laughs> <laughs> Look out next month. Okay, I'll report back. Yeah, yeah, that's how we roll. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so then the final, how are we doing? Perfect. So the final um, point for this uh, potpourri, as John Friend would have said in 2010, potpourri podcast episode is how do you attract more one-to-one students? And so I'm going to give some broader tips here Um so that they apply for for for, for more folks. So, firstly, um, the the an, the best opportunity you have for one to ones is by talking about them with your existing students. Where where teachers not only miss an opportunity but get into um, you know service leakage, where we've talked about this before, is where um, a classic where where some student has a question and wants to hang back after class and, and some yoga teacher who is maybe looping us back to the top of the hour still stuck in like, Om Shanti 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 here, giving us everything, even if it means totally depleting myself and being a doormat, stays back for half an hour to help someone understand that, oh, this is how you can modify this pose for your particular injury, limitation, fear, whatever. Every time after class that a student wants some specific information from you is the opportunity to raise the option of working with you privately. Now, obviously not if they're like, oh, Amy, which Bhagavad Gita do you recommend I read? Well, book in for $150 an hour private and I'll tell you. I'm not talking about being a, you know, a, a scammer about it. But if someone has a legitimate uh, area of interest that they want to pursue more with you, then let them know that they that one of the options they have to to receive that from you is by purchasing a one to one or better yet a packet of three or four, and it's not um, and it's about how you do it right because if we can't, again thanks Kat if you just go full out salesy of well the only way that you're going to find that out is by joining my inner circle and that costs three hundred and fifty dollars for three sessions I mean that's that's a shitty way to do it. It's not do you sell them into one-to-ones or not, it's how you do it. So if someone said to me at the end of class, you know, I, I think I got further than ever before in getting up to a headstand but I feel still feel really unstable, what could I do to work on it? I could maybe say, well, you know, the drill that we did beforehand, you could practice some of that every day but if you really want to, you know, hammer this one out, we could always have a one-to-one session if you like. Do you want me to send you some information about it? That's the way I like to do it because definitely for my culture, country Australia, People, people get a little bit nervous about being put upon, right? So I would never say to somebody, get out your card and sign up now. But if I say to them, hey, I'll send you some info, then they can, without me there, look at how much things cost, get a sense of how it works and decide for themselves, is this something that I would like to pursue or not? Um, and uh, I feel great about it and they don't feel sold to what they feel is cared for because it's clear in my energy that it makes no, it's not that it makes no difference to me because of course I have my students' uh, well-being in mind, but in terms of, you know, whether they buy something from me or not, um, it, it, that's not what I'm about. But the option is there if they would like to 
purchase that for themselves. So the first place to look for more one-to-one clients is your existing studentship. And in particular, when you have students who ask you for specific support, don't let your class leak out into what inevitably comes a one becomes a one-to-one because everybody else has left and it's just you and Mr. Knee Surgery left. But in fact, you've suggested to him, try this, try that, or let's spend some time together and really get to the heart of it. I'll send you some information. So that would be the first one. The second one, when you're getting going, the thing that we underestimate is using your own personal networks. And this can sometimes feel weird to people who, I don't know, um, people who are sort of coming out, right? If you're coming out as a yoga teacher, if you if people still think, oh, isn't she an accountant? And now you're you know, rocking some active wear after work, it can feel a little uncomfortable to put up on your personal Facebook profile. By the way, would anybody be interested in some one-to-one yoga? But that your personal networks are a great place to look because everybody knows somebody, right? And I mean, I remember, um, this is a, this is a, (laughs) what a surprise, a tangent, but um, in a former life, I used to teach um, financial literacy to women uh, in, from a feminist uh, learning style approach. It was an amazing syllabus and I taught it all over the state and it was, it was great stuff. Um, and did the, like the train the trainer stuff and it was a whole movement about getting women skilled up on understanding their, their financials. And one of the things that we learned um, as, we, as we were trained in how to do this was how women receive information. And there was all of this research that showed that women of a certain age, um, my age, like 40s, 50s, we get our information, we trust information from our friends more than we trust information from experts. So what that looked like in that scenario was I would be more likely to sign up for some kind of, I don't know, stock portfolio or saving scheme or whatever from the advice of a girlfriend than if I went to a financial advisor. That was just how I was wired. I was more likely to take that advice. Now, for better or worse, the reason I bring this up is probably uh, your friends telling their friends about you is probably an incredibly compelling sales strategy. People contact me often because they heard about me through a friend of theirs. If a friend recommends something, it's because they know you, they trust what you're doing is good, and they feel aligned, ethically aligned with recommending you to somebody. So an easy place to go for one-to-ones is using your own personal networks. And it requires you, for some of us, it requires us to sort of come out and say, hey, guess what? I'm I'm an accountant and I'm a yoga therapist. Or I don't know, I'm an HR manager and I do a bit of Reiki. Or, you know, I, I don't know, I'm a pharmacist. And I know a little bit about fascia release. So use your personal networks. Do be mindful that you it's not appropriate to sell on your uh, Facebook profile. Um, but that's not to say that you can't put up a post that says, hey, everybody, as you may know, I've just done some yoga teacher training and um, I'm look, and I'm, I've got some time in my calendar and I'd, I'm looking for anybody who would like some one-to-one support with this, this and this you know, and let me know if you, if you know of anybody or if you've got some groups I could share into. So use your personal networks, your personal Facebook groups that you're in, not the one, you know, be good about it. Don't break anyone's Facebook group rules. 
but don't underestimate the value of your personal networks. And I'm not talking about selling directly to your friends necessarily, but the next layer out and the next layer out after that. I'm sure we can all think of somebody that we've hired or signed up to work with or purchased something from because we heard about it from someone else. Like endless numbers of people that I've done that with, right? Um, And so why not be that person? So um, that would be point two for how to get more one-to-ones. And then the third point, I guess, for today would be um, um, to, to rather than to be more strategic in how you do the marketing for your one-to-one. So it's not so that it becomes more of um, so that it becomes more of an event uh, or an opportunity rather than just something that's always available. Most people um, buy things when they think it's about to end, when they think they're about to miss out. That's why sales exist, one of the reasons, because we all, you know, if something is coming to an end, then we're going to go sign up for it. But if your one-to-ones are available all of the time, people will, it's like I'm going to start my diet on Monday Monday, 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 and it never, like, which Monday? Same. I'm going to book in for those one-to-ones soon because there's no reason to actually, there's no time-bound reason to actually do it. One of my, one of the um, fabulous yoga teachers in the Keep Growing Mastermind, we had our session yesterday and she was saying that she wants to call more one-to-ones into her into her business as she's going on holidays and she's, she would like that all to kick off on in September and so how, what's the best way to go about it? And so we came up with a marketing strategy where in August she will announce that uh, come September she will make available six new places in her calendar for one-to-one sessions. So while she is technically always available to have another one-to-one client, that's the Monday, 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 but when she says I now have six places starting in September who would like one and she talks about that all through August, now there's some time motivation to get people to not just say yes but to say yes now, right? So this is the same for massage. This is the same for any therapeutic stuff. I mean, good God, how long have I been telling them I'm going to have a massage every week? I don't know, eight years Have I done it yet? Not, but next week I'm starting. Bullshit, Amy, you're not starting. This is what everybody does with this stuff. So regarding the strategy around your one-to-ones, sure, technically they might be available all of the time, but start thinking about when am I actively going to market them rather than being available all the time? And how can I contain it in a way that compels people to buy not some vague time into the future, but actually now? That would be my three points on that. After class, if people have questions, don't be be scared about proposing someone buy something from you. Don't be gross about it. Be, you know, open and and compelling. But tell people that it's even available. People might not even know. Use your personal networks and rather than having them all the time for sale, be a little bit more strategic so that you're containing time-wise when those things are on offer so people choose not just yes but yes now that would be my three points on one-to-ones I think that's us that was three random things Jody, is there anything you need before we finish up got a cup of tea got some sunshine beautiful
All right, ladies. Well, thanks for joining us. So for everybody who's listening, just in case I didn't make this clear at the top, this is a special um, Patreon recording where uh, my Patreon supporters get to come hang out with me and do my homework for me and tell me what to make the podcast about. So, ladies, thanks. Oh, and uh, I think I'll see both of you, right, for our coaching also. So we can do more of this then and you can ask me that, you know, whatever you like because no one else will hear it. <laughs> but everybody has heard 2 and 20, so we're all on board with that. <laughs> Bye, ladies. Bye, everybody else. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye. So there you have it, folks, another edition of the Abundant Yoga Teacher Podcast. Hey, favour to ask. If you found the content useful, I would be very grateful if you could support this podcast by giving me a five-star rating. And if you've got a moment, a review would be super cool. No pressure, of course. Like I said earlier, if you have any suggestions for podcast topics in the future, I would love to be in service. DM me on Instagram at Amy Yoga Biz Coach. Take deep care.